Hello, this is Janet Gallen welcoming you to Love Letters Live. And today's guest is somebody, I, I told him I'm going to pretend we've never met because I want you to hear the whole story from him. And I see Deanna crawling behind you. Okay. Um, and let's just do that. And I'm going to pretend I never met you, although we're actually friends and I know so much about you. Your, your story is so interesting and a little circuitous and includes so much that I always used to say to you, it should really be a book. And I understand, <laughs> I understand that now it is. So we're going to talk about that. Okay. My, my guest and my, yes. Okay. I'm going to have <laughs> you talk about that in a minute. My guest and my friend, Hank Garrett, who is an actor and so many other things that Hank, you go ahead and say hello and let's start. Well, uh, former professional wrestler, I'm in the Wrestling Hall of Fame. I'm in the Karate Hall of Fame. And I'm a grandmaster of martial arts. And all that and gets me about $1.45 to get on a bus on Ventura Boulevard. I can understand that because let's go back farther and fill in this story. When I first, before I first met you, I read about you. You know, we get to Google people now and cheat a little bit and get kind of a leg up. And I was confused. You had so many last names that I was sure that the article had made a mistake. And when we met to do our first Love Letters Live radio long ago, I, I admitted that I was confused and I thought it was my confusion. And it turns out it was not. You have a, would you start from the beginning, like where you were born, who your father was, why you had all these names? <laughs> okay. Is this uh, in your book, Why You Had All These Names? Yes. Good. Okay. Yes. I don't want anybody uh, to miss it. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, I was I, lived, I was raised in Harlem, 111th Street between Park and Lexington. Uh, and I never had experienced anything but starvation. Uh, we lived in a fifth floor walk-up loaded with roaches and rats. In fact, uh, one morning as a child, I was felt the weight on my chest. I was asleep. And I did the pull cord that hung down from the light. And there was a rat sitting on my chest. What did you do? I just swatted the rat off. And it was common, truly common. Uh -huh. And I remember one more early morning walking into the kitchen, putting the light on and the wall was just covered with cockroaches. Oh. And they well, ran. What, from... what, was it, what was it that your father did for work? Well, he was a fruit and vegetable peddler. Mm -hmm. um, my mom was uh, both uh, with a push cart. Uh -huh. And uh, I was born very late in life to them. When my father was in his 50s. My mom was in her mid to late 40s. Wow. And it was really strange because I was at the push cart as a child, standing there, holding on to the push cart. And a woman came over to my mother and said, is that your little boy? And she said, oh, no, 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 that, that's my grandson. <laughs> and a couple of years later, a uh, census taker at the door, my father was there. And he said, how many in the family? And he said, well, there's a woman and her three kids. I have two half brothers. And he said, and who are you? He said, I'm an uncle visiting. I said, my mom is my grandmother. My father is my uncle. Who am I? 
good question. Oh, and uh, I would, on the street, I actually lived on the street. I slept in cardboard boxes because they were out working and oh. they didn't trust me to be in the house alone. So they thought the street would be a better place for me to be. Did, did they think that you were going to tip off some census taker or somebody as to what your real name was and that was going to go against the family somehow? I have no idea what their thoughts were. Okay, of course. Because I did get a look. I uh, was born in Monticello, New York. I got a look at my birth certificate only because when I was uh, 16, I was wrestling. And I wanted to turn pro. But to turn pro, you had to be 21 years old at least. So they, I got a look at my birth certificate, the people who made some changes, and I was listed as, instead of born in 1941, they had me listed as I was 1931, which made me 10 years older, and then I could get my, my license to wrestle. But when I looked at the birth certificate, all these last names. Was, what I want to know about. And I, when I asked, they said, you don't want to know. Oh, okay. And I, there was Greenberg, uh, Weinblatt, uh, the four last names. And I remember saying to my mom one time, which one of these guys is my father? And so she slapped me. And I never knew. I knew, I found out later that my father was in the country illegally. He met my mom, who was a widow with two boys, and her name was Greenberg. So he assumed that name and he lived there and I got married. I, I got my driver's license under the name of Greenberg, which was not my name. OK, but so so being here illegally would be reason enough to have all these different names and, and not show up somewhere. Exactly. OK. How how did you okay? So you started wrestling, but you were you were kind of assailed by some of the kids in your neighborhood anyway, and picked on. I was a fighter. Uh -huh. I started fighting. I got my nose broken uh, at the age of nine. Goodness, a gang of kids came by, and I was standing there in front of my building, and one of the kids came over and just hauled off and punched me in the face and broke my nose. Oh. And one of the other gang members said to him, why did you hit that kid? He said, oh, he cursed my mother. Well, years later, <laughs> I started pumping iron. I, I was massive. And I ran into that kid that said I brought, that I cursed his mother. Good for you. And I walked up to him and I said, do you remember me? He said, oh, I don't know you, man. And he looked at me and he saw the size of me. And I said, I'm the kid whose nose you broke when I was nine years old. And now I'm gonna kill you. And he dropped to the ground and he started sobbing. Oh, don't kill me, man, please don't kill me, don't kill me. And I suddenly realized I had my revenge. And as I started walking away, I said, oh, oh, give my regards to your mother. And I walked away. 
Oh, you taught a bully a lesson. Good for you. How did, yeah. how, how did that lead to just walk us up to how you ended up in the Catskills and comedy and performing? Okay. And, oh, and Sam Jr. Always in trouble. Uh-huh. Uh, there was a, a man who was the mayor of Harlem, who was my mom's customer. And my mom was crying to him. And his name is Willie Bryant. And he came to me on the street. I was standing there smoking with my fellow hoodlums. <laughs> and he came over and slapped the cigarette out of my mouth. And I was going to throw a punch at him. And two bodyguards came toward me, two mountains. So I, I thought better of throwing that punch. And he said, your mom wants me to take you out. And I said, my mother wants me killed. She put <laughs> a contract out on me. So he said, no, stupid. He said, We're, I'm going to take you out tonight. Do you have a suit? I said, yeah, I got a suit. <clears throat> he said, wear your suit. But before you do, take a bath. Well, uh, that evening, uh, I met with him. And he took me to the Apollo Theater in Harlem. And I looked at the marquee and it said, starring Sammy Davis Jr. He took me to see Sammy Davis. We didn't go into the theater. We went the back route. And we went to Sammy's dressing room. And he said, Sam, uh, this is the kid I was telling you about. Sam said, hey, man, sit down. I did. And he said, uh, I understand you're a tough guy. I said, yeah, I'm tough. He said, tough guys wind up with broken bones and scars. You're beyond that. I looked at him, he said, you can go to prison or you're gonna die. I was 12 and I had a gun in my pocket. I had a 25 caliber pistol in my pocket. And as we were speaking, the gun kept getting heavier and heavier and heavier. And he got me a job. Sammy said, I'm getting you a gig. I said, what? He said, you're going to be a band boy. I said, I, I, I don't play an instrument. He said, no, no, no. Band boy, you put out the music for all the musicians. And then at the end of the gig, you just collect all that stuff and put it back in its proper books. Well, I was a band boy for an all African-American band. And then Sam said, uh, I want to get you another gig. He said, you're going to work up in the Catskills. That's what I want to know about. And he said, I want you to watch the other because I understand you're funny. Oh. And I was, I was telling jokes to gangs to keep from getting a beating. I suddenly started making, started telling stories about the neighborhood. Well, <laughs> I wound up being the first white comedian to work the Apollo Theater. And all, all of my neighborhood showed up. All the Puerto Rican and, and African-American people that I grew up with. And I scored, I scored big just by talking about the neighborhood. Oh, God. 
But I got to tell you, the one evening when I worked with the band, the band leader came up to me and said, uh, did a good job, man. And he took on a roll of bills and he gave me $50. Massive amount of money. Really? He said, get yourself some new kicks, shoes. Uh-huh. My shoes were torn to shreds. In fact, I had a big rubber band around my left shoe to hold the sole on. It had ripped off. Mm -hmm. I got, I went to Floorsheim shoes the next day and got a pair of Floorsheim shoes for $15 and gave my mother 35. Was she amazed? Oh, she, it's more money than she had ever seen at one time. I'm sure. And so it started from there. I started working the Catskills and, and as a comic with some borrowed jokes and I wrote some stuff. And next thing I know, 20 some odd years later, I'm standing on stage at the Sands Hotel in Las Vegas, mm -hmm. opening for Tony Bennett. So word got out about you somehow and you were invited to go from one place to another. Yes. It had to be by invitation. You wouldn't just get on a bus and go without, right? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Uh, I started working around little clubs. Uh, the Morris office came. They saw me one night at a little club called The Living Room. And they signed me to uh, the contract with the Morris office. Great. And that opening night at the Sands, oh, excuse me. Ringside, Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin, Peter Lawford, and Sammy Davis Jr. And everybody, when my show was over, Frank stood up and gave me a standing ovation. Wonderful. And everybody stood up. And oh, after the show, everyone ran to see Tony, except for Sam. Mm-hmm. And he came up to me and said, you're a funny cat. Where do I know you from? Oh, no. And I said, Sam, I'm the kid you said was going to go to prison or die. Oh, my goodness. And he said, that's you? I said, yeah. Well, I'm going to cry. Oh, we, That's what we did. We hugged and cried. Oh. That's and, amazing. That's amazing to me. And I guess a sign of somehow his humility that he didn't remember that you were his big good deed. Well, he saw me, I was 12. Well, I understand, but yeah, sure. Oh, and you had different names. Okay. Yes. yes. That's wonderful. Yep. Suddenly Hank Garrett took the name from Garrett from Betty Garrett. Oh, I love her. Oh, uh, we did a, a fundraiser together. And, uh, and I, I just, I adored her. She was wonderful, great singer, and funny, funny, funny lady. Oh, I know, I know. In, in the movie with, you know, Ann Miller and... I, oh, I watched, On the Town. On the Town, I yes, absolutely. I'm telling you, I could lip sync every word out of that beautiful face. <laughs> Come up to my place? Okay. I'm, 
yes, getting off. The <laughs> Thank you for this memory lane walk. Okay, so so now you're there, and somehow you get to movies. I became a cop. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Thank you. Yeah, I I thought I could make a difference. Uh huh. And when I realized I really couldn't, uh, a friend of mine. Um, his name was Mickey Deems, wonderful comedian. And his wife worked for Nat Hyken. Nat Hyken, who created the Bilko Show and the Martha Ray Show. And, and so he got me an audition, or an interview, actually. I went in and met Nat Hyken, the legend. And he was sitting there, and I, and I sat down, and he, he very quietly said, you're Ed Nicholson. And I said, no, no, I'm Hank Garrett. He said, just the kind of dummy I'm looking for. <laughs> he said, Nicholson is the character that you are going to play on Car 54, where are you? Oh, what? He said, yes, you're gonna be one of the stars on Car 54. You were wonderful on that. Wait, wait, let me ask you something. Were your parents still alive at this point to see your success? Uh, no, no, okay. they weren't. Okay. Well, no, no. My mom, my, my dad had passed. <laughs> but my mother said to me, mm -hmm. she saw me on Call 54. Oh, she did? Okay. And so now she said, can't you tell them to give you a shirt? Uh -huh. Because I was always in the locker room in a t-shirt posing. <laughs> she said, I'm ashamed the neighbors see you in your underwear. I said, Mama, it's a t-shirt. It's not underwear. She says, it's underwear. Put on a shirt. <laughs> yeah, she got to see me on Car 54. Was she amazed or was it natural to her? Oh, God. Okay, well, go ahead. So, Car Fifty Four, and and but then you did one movie where the role you played. I want to tell you, I've seen it a couple of times, and I can't watch it anymore because you, for a for a man who was so filled with goodness and so frightening, so menacing that I couldn't watch it. Would you like to tell us about that role? The movie is called Three Days of the Condor. Oh, terrifying! Uh, I am playing the part of a CIA assassin <laughs> disguised as a mailman. And I walked in to meet Sidney Pollack, the director, God rest his soul. Oh, I love him too. Oh, he was an amazing guy. Tootsie, oh my goodness. Well, everything, I guess. Okay, go yes. ahead. So I, I walk in to meet him and I'm sitting there talking to Sidney Pollack. And he said, uh, do you know anything about martial arts? And I said, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm in the Karate Hall of Fame. And he said, really? He said, okay, you're my guy. You're going to play the mailman. I said, oh, and he told me what, what I had to do. In fact, he directed me. He said, you're machine gunning so many people and there's no emotion, nothing. It's your day, it's your job. Oh, I'm, work, I'm working with uh, 
von Seydow and Robert Redford and Faye Dunaway. I said, oh my God. I walk in dressed as the mailman and that's when Sydney came up and said, no emotion, nothing. You just, that's your job. You shoot and kill all these people and it doesn't mean anything to you. It's your, your daily responsibility. Well, in, in the fight scene, Redford, uh, who wasn't in the scene, it was a tight close-up of me getting this coffee in my face. Because as I go to kill him, he takes this pot of hot coffee and throws it at me. When he came out of his dressing room, he looked at the pot of coffee and there was smoke coming out of the pot. And he said, uh, wait a minute. We can't throw hot coffee in Hank's face. And the guy handling special effects said, oh, oh it's not hot coffee, Bob. Uh, it's an acid diluted with mineral oil. That doesn't sound pleasant either. Exactly. And he, Bob said, acid? And the guy stuck his finger in it and said, it doesn't burn. He said, uh, it, it just creates the smoke. He said, what if you get that acid in your eyes? And the entire set got very quiet. And he said, uh, he walked up to Sidney Pollack and said, Sid, can I throw the coffee? He said, sure, but you're not even in the shot. It's a tight close up of an egg. Well, he said to me, called me over and said, uh, Hank, I'm going to hit you waist high with the coffee. All I want you to do is put your hands up to your face as though it hit you in the face. Well, we found out later, had it gotten in my eyes, it would have blinded me. Oh, uh, by the way, mineral oil in your eyes is not good either. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and I don't know. I'm standing there. Go ahead. Whatever you want to do. Well, how do I thank Robert Redford for saving my eyesight? Really? I break his nose. The mineral oil was all over the floor. Now he had to come at me and I said, don't come in low. I'm gonna do a sweep and I'm taking you right over my knee. He slipped and oh. came head for, I came around with the elbow catch him right in the oh. Now in the middle of the fight scene, I look at Bob and I see blood. And I'm gonna to say to Sydney, he, uh, uh, he's bleeding and he waved me off. We finished the fight scene. That evening I get a call from Robert Redford. He said, Hank, wait till you see the fight scene. It is absolutely the best. Oh, and by the way, you broke my nose. I said, oh, God, Bob, no, I'll never work again. But he said, don't worry. He said, my nose has been broken so many times, it doesn't matter. Okay, so I, I think people listening and watching you here are going to want to know, say again, three days of the condor. People can three, three, three days of the condor, which I, I wound up winning the New York Film Critics Award. 
you know, I imagine that is really hard to do too. I mean, I imagine because I don't act, although I will say that all God's children act at some point or the other. <laughs> to, to do this horrible deed and show no emotion, you have to be able to understand that. Yes. You have to be able to understand that person. Was that hard? Yes. And, uh, in fact, I taught acting for a bit. And I tell my, my students, my pupils, you've got to give a life to the character you're playing. And the life is you go back and mm -hmm. create a history for this person that you're going to play. And I, when I was growing up, I met a lot of unsavory people. I, at one time, I was actually uh, friends with a hitman. And that was his job. And that's what I assumed that this character I was playing, that's his job. So, so by creating a, a history for the character that you have to play at a specific point in that character's life, you can kind of sneak up to it. Exactly. Authentically. Yes. That's so interesting. I want to thank you for doing this with me, but you know, I'm so sorry that time is limited because I know that you've got so much more to say. I'm happy to say that you finally have it. in a <laughs> And for, for people who want the rest of it, because there's a lot of the rest of it, a lot of the rest of it. Yes. Hold up the book, please, and say the title from Harlem to, go ahead. From Harlem Hoodlum to Hollywood Heavyweight. Just happened to have a copy of the book. Of course you do. Yes, that's great. <laughs> and people can order it on Amazon. Amazon, yes. And uh, it has created quite a stir. I'm people sure. that have read the book, uh, everyone says this has got to be a movie. Oh, that next, of course. Starring you, I hope, at some point. Or directed by you. Let me ask you something else, because you know I'm about love letters and writing yes. and, and sending how you feel to people. And I I don't know, I don't know who might be the love letter you write, you know, considering all this. I, there are several people. Um, I'm guessing DM is big on the list. And oh. I, I just want to point out that the flyleaf of a book is a wonderful piece of stationery. So if you give that book to anyone as a gift for you to write something on that, oh, pilot, that will, that will give that book a new dimension for generations as it's, well, you know, all this. Okay. Of course. Okay. Thank uh, you. There's a, a lady in Florida. Uh -huh. She's a dear friend. We've known each other for quite a while and sent her a book. She read the book. And she bought Christmas gifts, all oh. of my 25 books she bought. And uh, she sent me a list of people with, you know, to inscribe to. And she said, and everyone said the same thing. She wow. said they were thrilled to get the book. And they all said, what a movie this is going to be. Yes, well, it is. And you'll let us know, right? Is that in? Is no, absolutely. That, I, I'm going to ask if that's in the works, but I'm guessing that because of the pandemic and limitations, um, there's a lot that's 
back burner for right now. Yes, absolutely. But speaking of love letters, yes, dear. This book could never have happened if it wasn't for Deanna Marie. That's what I just said. I think Deanna is high on the list for a love letter. Yes. And she sat me down. Yes. And said, "You have all these wonderful stories." We've got to put it on paper. And she sat and quizzed me. What happened then? You were going to high school and you and you were wrestling professionally. Oh my God! Good for her. I knew she was doing this. I knew she was doing this, and I know what a single-minded strength she is on your behalf. Yes, is she there right now? No, the other room. no she's not. <laughs> He's quite an exceptional person also. I, you know, I look forward to hopefully at some point that we can get together in person and have another lunch at somewhere. And Oh, that would be wonderful. I just, you know, you're, you're, you're so strong in my um, memory and heart. I thank you. <laughs> thank you. Okay, people. So you can get three days at the Condor. You can get reruns of Car 55. We're up. I'm sorry. 54. <laughs> you never get it right. Car 54, where are you? And Hank's book. Thank you, dear, for doing this with me. We'll Thank talk you. Okay, so from Janet Gallen and... Hank Garrett. Bye, we'll talk to you later. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Janet. You wanna know something? I forgot to hit the record button. I can't believe it. <laughs> I can't believe this. I've never done that before. I was so excited to see you that I forgot to hit. Can we do this again in another day or so? Oh my God. Can we redo this? I am so horrified and so 